The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with your host, Gail Doby and Aaron Weir, co-founders of Gail Doby Coaching and Consulting. We're so pleased to have Chuck Soboda joining us today to discuss his Amazon bestseller book, The Innovator's Spirit. Chuck is actually the innovator in residence at Marquette University, president of the Cape Point Advisors and the retired chairman and CEO of Cree Inc. He serves on several company boards and is the host of the Innovators on Tap podcast. At Cree, Chuck helped lead the company from $6 million in revenue to over $1.6 billion as they started the LED lighting revolution that led to the obsolescence of traditional light bulbs. Chuck is also the co-inventor of 25 patents covering LED and lighting-related technology. In 2010, Chuck was named the Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year for the Carolinas. And during his time as a CEO at Cree, Cree was recognized as the MIT Technology Review's 50 Smartest Companies for 2014 and as one of the Fast Companies World's 50 Most Innovative Companies in 2015. Chuck, I am so excited to talk today about innovation. And the first thing I want to do is talk about the definition of innovation. Could you help me with that? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting uh, that you word gets used pretty much for almost anything these days. I think I've even read an article that it's one of the most overused buzzwords. So in my world, innovation is something that's new, but it also has to solve a customer problem and it has to create value. And what I find is that most of us get all focused on the new part and we forget that it's actually the solving a problem and creating value that's really the important part behind innovation. And so, you know, when I use that term and when I'm describing my advice for how to think about it, I think you want to keep the context of my definition because it really is what guides some of the advice I give. Mm, I think of it almost as renovation when you're working on an existing business because you really are having to look at a, a problem in a different way and maybe just add a different solution, maybe a different point of view. What are some of the things that have worked best for you and your company when you were with Cree that really changed maybe the process that you used or maybe the thoughts that you used to solve the problem? Yeah, I think the first thing was, is we made the assumption at Cree that innovation was fundamentally about people and not process. Mm. And so we were very people-centric and mindset-centric. We wanted to know how did people think. We wanted, we really almost recruited for a certain mindset. And or if you join the company, we did many things to try to reinforce a certain mindset. Because the fact is, is that most of us have grown up or have had life experiences that have probably made us have some beliefs and behaviors that are what I would consider to be kind of anti-innovation. So, you know, we've been taught to avoid risk instead of taking risk. We've been taught that uh, to pursue best practices when the reality is, is that a best practice by definition can't be best because it's already been done. So instead at Cree, one of the things we tried to believe, and I reminded myself every day is that there is always a better way. It keeps you from getting kind of stuck in that, hey, I'm really proud of what I did. Yeah, but if you want to innovate, you have to keep going. You have to believe there's something better. And I think the third idea is that even that you start to realize that problems are not something to be avoided. They're actually the biggest opportunities for your business because 
and I'm going to borrow this from someone else. I heard say it recently, but they said that, you know, what most business people forget is that it's not who has the least problems that's the most successful. It's who's the best at solving problems. Mm. And so you're not trying to avoid them. You're trying to get really good at assault. I think that is a great comment. So I remember in reading the book too, that you were talking about innovation being personal. What does that mean? What I find is innovation is going to be hard, right? You're going to go do something that's never been done before. So the moment you take this on, that means that you're likely going to have things that are going to go wrong along the way. And what I found is that making innovation personal, when I made it important to me that I wanted to prove something wrong, it provided a level of motivation that kind of kept you going on those tough days. You know, there are days you're going to hit the wall and we're often tempted to say, hey, maybe this isn't worth it. But when it's personal, I think you go forward. And, and in my case, you know, one of the stories I like to tell is, is that I had a chance to go to the White House and I was waiting in the Roosevelt Room for a meeting with a group of CEOs. And I'm talking to the Secretary of Energy, Stephen Chu. And I said to him, I think that, and this is early in the days of LED lighting. So we haven't really, and no one's really heard of it yet. And I said, you know, if you guys want to embrace green technology, how come you don't have any LED lighting here in the White House? And Stephen Chu looked at me, and by the way, he's also a Nobel laureate, right? And so he looks at me and he says something that's like, well, Chuck, we're going to have LED lighting in the White House when it pays for itself in my lifetime, not the LED's lifetime. Uh And his point was, it's a great idea, but it's too darn expensive. And I wrote down that quote, and it literally hung on a piece of paper next to my desk for the next probably six or seven years. And... It was personal to me to try to prove to him that we could do what he said at some point. And it's interesting. It's just an incredible motivator is what I found. And so I always try to remind people that it's good to make things personal. It really does help. Interesting. Well, that's great motivation when you have someone at that high level who gives you that kind of challenge. And I love that in your book. I remember thinking as I was reading it that how many challenges do we all have as entrepreneurs? And if we would just welcome those challenges and allow the teams to help us and not feel like we have to do it all by ourselves too, it ends up with a really interesting solution in the end. Yeah, look, I think, you know, so much. So if your goal is innovation, if you really want to do these new things, the biggest barrier is not coming up with the ideas. It's actually convincing yourself and others to embrace change. I mean, we are wired. Yes to avoid change. In fact, there's psychology on it that in in normal conditions, our brain, it basically equates sameness with safety and change with danger. But whether it be in a crisis or any situation that kind of breaks that psychology, all of a sudden when the current situation doesn't work, change now is is, is much more welcome. And what I found is, is that getting that mindset, getting people open-minded, including yourself, like when you don't have another option, it really is probably the single best trigger to leading to the really new ideas. And because and we have to basically get ourselves out of our own way. Well, I think you talked in the book a little bit about the fact that these challenges that you're encountering are a signpost, actually, that leads you to saying, I need to solve that problem. Because if somebody says you shouldn't do it, then you said that they should do it. So talk to me a little bit about that. That's an observation of what we did. Mm-hmm. I don't know that in the beginning that was intentional. That might have just been our competitive spirit or just, mm. 
hey, you, you say it can't be done. I'm going to prove you wrong. And But what we discovered was is that when we were developing these new products for markets, you know, LED lighting didn't really exist. And so you're trying to convince people to do this and they would tell you what you couldn't do with it. So we would say, well, let's go prove them wrong. And literally our product strategy for several years was just to take the biggest thing people said we couldn't do and to go do it. And what we learned in the process was, is when someone says you can't do something, they're actually describing a problem that's worth solving. They're telling you what one of those customer opportunities is. And you know, so much of business is not just good ideas, but good ideas that solve problems that need to be solved. And that's essentially what they're telling you. And so the aha was when someone says you can't, they're actually giving you kind of a, giving you the signal that this is your big opportunity if you want to go for it. Also, what I love about that is, is giving you that incentive to do something unique that someone else has probably not solved. So they're actually giving you some way to differentiate your business too in, yeah, in many of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oftentimes the, the people I was directing to were large companies in the industry, right? They were, yeah. they were essentially competitors. And when a competitor tells you what you can't do, they're telling you what they can't do. And they're telling you what you should do. And it's a really, they don't know they're doing it. But what I found is over and over again, you know, if if you're, it doesn't matter what your business is, but when someone thinks there's something they can't do, that's the opportunity, right? If you solve that problem, and if you think of these great businesses that we've all read about over the years, they solved the problem that no one else did, right? You know, Amazon figured out how we could buy almost anything online and give it to you in two days. Well, wow, I didn't even know I had that problem, but I think it would have been told it's impossible. If you read the book, it goes back to the story of, you know, FedEx was started by Fred Smith, who would basically wrote a paper for his master's degree and would told, he got a C because he said, your idea is not viable of overnight shipping. <laughs> and so then he went and did it. And, and, but if you look, there's just over and over again, the best ideas come from doing something people think aren't possible. Because the fact is, if everyone thinks it's possible, then it's probably not what you're going to do is not innovate. Interesting. Let's talk about managing innovation versus leading it. You mentioned that in the book, and I thought that was an interesting comment. So explain that to us. So essentially, you can't manage innovation. So management is getting people to follow a set of rules or some prescribed process to deliver some kind of predictable outcome. And don't get me wrong, we need good managers. That's That's something every business needs to do every day is manage things along. But if you think about the definition of that, It's to follow a known process or rule, and it's to get a predetermined outcome. By definition, it can't be innovative. So leadership is instead about getting people to try and do something that they otherwise might not do. And oftentimes they might not even think is possible. It's to to pursue a, a future reality that they may or may not believe they can actually get to. And so what you realize is, is that Innovation requires this leadership mindset. And, and it doesn't mean that you don't need both leadership and management in an organization. But if you try to manage innovation, what you will end up getting is a very similar result than what you got before. So if you have something you need to make fix, hey, this works pretty good, but we need to get it better. There is very much great management approaches to improving things, but they tend to not allow you to do the really big innovations because they're limited by what's possible. What are the leadership skills that are needed to innovate? You know, the leadership skills and the mindset required are kind of the same thing. It's, it's, to me, it's really getting your mindset into a place where you can take these things on. So, for example, if you're going to pursue innovation, you're going to have to embrace this concept of candor or what I, I like to call the brutal truth. So most of our organizations, 
you know, we sit around and, and we prioritize collegiality. We think that's what's important. But the reality is, is that constructiveness will get you much further if you want to solve hard problems. It's just the reality. And in fact, if you're not brutally honest with each other, it's almost impossible to get to the problem that actually needs to be solved. And so that's a trait that I think is a leadership skill, but it's also a mindset that I would want people to work on and develop. You know, another one is this ability to, you know, I call it courage or it's to, you know, it's to basically take risk that other people wouldn't, or it may be a better way to think about it is I use the term, you have to become unafraid of failure. And people always say, well, that sounds nice, but how do I do it? You actually practice, you do things that you're pretty sure you can't actually achieve. So to young professionals, I always say, sign up for a goal you don't think is possible. And when you get to the end, whether you get there or not, and you will most likely not get there, you're going to survive. And what you're going to realize is it wasn't really all that bad to sign up for it. And you actually accomplished more than you would have ever possibly accomplished otherwise. And so you basically need to put yourself in situations to allow yourself to work on these different mindset feelings. Um, you know, the other one is, is that you have to learn to, to realize that, and maybe one of my favorite terms is we, we like to tell everyone to think outside the box. Completely flawed idea. It doesn't work because the moment you acknowledge that there is a box, you're actually acknowledging boundary conditions and boundary conditions will limit what's possible. So what I always tell people is realize that all boundary conditions, whether you believe this or not, if you really look closely, they're a choice. And you can choose to follow them or not. And if you want to really be innovative, start with the idea that there is no box. And so how do you do that? You got to do some things that force you out there. One of the examples I love to tell people is don't have a plan B. So get rid of a backup plan. Give yourself no choice but to have to succeed. That's what it was like every day at Cree for 25 years. But you can recreate that in any organization. And and I think that's kind of, those are some of the ideas and then and there's many more, but those are kind of some of the ideas of how you put yourself in situations to kind of relearn some of these beliefs that are probably getting in your way today. Hmm. Are there other beliefs that you feel that someone has to have to be a great innovator? You know, there are three traits that I would say that uh, I always looked for. And so, you know, at Cree, we wanted people to develop this, but we also wanted to hire people that were more biased to be good at innovation. And so over the years, I would interview, even as CEO, I would interview many candidates at different levels of the organization. And I really didn't look at their resumes. I wanted to see if they had a mindset or they had the ability to develop the mindset to do what we wanted to do every day, which is this kind of what I like to call pursue the impossible. And so I would often ask them the first question, which you'll see is in the book, is I'd ask them in an interview. With no preparation, I'd ask them to tell me how many barbers they think there are in the city of New York. And I would ask them on a whiteboard just to show me how they would figure it out. Just do it right then and there. And I was purposely creating an uncomfortable situation. But what I wanted to do was, is innovation is all about dealing with uncertainty and taking the, your best idea and being willing to, to go with it, right? You can't have all the answers. And so really, that was a test for, are they comfortable with uncertainty? The second thing I would talk about is I wanted to know how comfortable they were with failure. So we would have a pretty long conversation about their biggest failures. And if I didn't think I was getting really honest answers and I didn't get some insights as to what they learned, I knew they probably weren't going to like working there. And again, this wasn't, I want to be clear, this is not a judgment on someone. This is how do you find if someone fits the problem you're trying to solve, right? Are you culturally aligned to this innovation problem? And the fact is, 
is that if you're going to pursue innovation, you will fail more than you will succeed. It's just the reality of it. What you have to learn is that failure is learning. It's not this traditional definition of failure. So once you embrace the learning from it, it's this incredibly powerful tool. And it doesn't mean you want to try and fail, but you don't want to try not to fail because that'll stop you from doing the biggest things. And then the third thing we looked for was, and this one was a bit more controversial, but I did look at their resume for one thing. I tried to look at a past place they had worked or something they had been involved in, and I would research that organization. And one of my favorite examples is I interviewed a very successful female executive from Kodak. She had been a senior marketing executive. And we were talking and I said, so, you know, tell me about when you were at Kodak and you all went bankrupt. She goes, oh, it was a tough time. And, and tell me, I said, so why did you let it happen? <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> and she says, excuse me? And I said, why did you let it happen? She goes, I didn't let it happen. I was in marketing. I said, weren't you on like the senior team? Yeah, I was. So weren't you all paid to make the company successful? Well, of course I was. You really don't think there's something you could have done? And it took a little bit, but after a while, she started to go, huh, maybe there was. And all I was looking for there was, could she embrace ownership for things that were somewhat outside her control? Because the fact is, is that if you're going to go down this path and you don't know what the answer is, and you don't even know exactly where you're going to end up, if you're not willing to own things that you can't fully control, it doesn't work. And so those kind of those three things, uncertainty, failure, and ownership were kind of these characteristics that I looked for in people. And uh, I didn't call it that at the time, but I've now renamed it my UFO test just because it kind of sounds cool. <laughs> I like that. That's great. Okay. So you talked about UFO and I think that that is really important. I, I love what you said about that, the ownership, the uncertainty, and also the ability to deal with failure. I think the failure is so important. And of course, right now we're going through this COVID situation and we're trying not to talk about it all the time. But by the same token, how do we apply that to this current situation? Because we're all dealing with things we never anticipated dealing with. So when I wrote the book, it ends with a chapter about how do you create focus around innovation? Mm. And I remember I finished the book well before COVID and I wrote in there a section called don't waste a crisis. And what I've helped reframe over the last three or four months is that this idea for people that a crisis is an incredible opportunity. Sure. I'm not at all diminishing the struggles that it has created in many people's lives. I get that. But the fact is I can't control that and neither can small business owners or other people. But it also has created a situation where all those things that you live with, those boundary conditions, that box we were kind of stuck in before, it doesn't work. Like you have to try something else. So this is that moment to embrace the crisis, to try new and different things. So, you know, if you can't meet with clients, how can you engage them in other ways, right? There, it forces us to do things. I happen to own part of a brewery, a small brewery. And when there are no bars and restaurants open, you don't sell a lot of beer. And so it's quite a difficult time. And so we had to go through layoffs and all that. But what it said is there were parts of our business that were open and we could also do some new things. So, you know, we embraced this idea of, you know, come to the brewery and, and buy your beer, pick it up. But then we instituted local delivery of beer. And it was, mm -hmm. we have these customer relationships now that 
we're actually seeing increases in some markets. And we obviously have a decline in the bar business, but in other areas, we've seen an increase because it forced us to put our expertise and our resources on what customers available to us and how can we truly solve their problems, something we would have never had time to do otherwise. And I think that sounds a little funny, but we've been given a gift of focus. Mm-hmm. You know that you have no choice but to reevaluate what's important. And I think the other thing we learn in most businesses is most businesses have a list of things they want to do each day. And I would guess if I listed it, the leaders of those businesses, it's probably not a list of just a couple things. It's many things. And if I looked at your list and we went through it and you wrote it down, and then you asked yourself, which of these things is really the most important to the long-term success of the business? There's probably only a few. And my guess is they're not in the top three. But in a crisis, it forces you to ask that question. And then you tend to be able to reprioritize the things that really matter to the top. And these other things that were, I just got to finish this before I get to that. You put them aside. And what you start to realize is most businesses spend most of their energy on things that actually don't make that big a difference. But we've said we would do it or we used to do it that way. And this lets us kind of break out of that cycle and focus on what really matters. And I think it's, so yes, is it a tough time? Absolutely. But for leaders, it's a great opportunity to realize, okay, you've got to lead now. You have no choice. So let's go do the things you were thinking about that you hadn't gotten to before. Well, I have to relate my own story to this because around the time that this happened, I was in New York City and I was trying to get home from a trip in which I was supposed to do four major things. And literally, we had to cut two of them out because it just didn't make sense for me to be in New York. So I came back and I know that I was very nervous about what was happening. And yet, by the same token, I I remember just what you said triggered that. I had to be the leader. And no matter what, I was in charge and nobody else was going to do it. And I couldn't be scared of it. I just had to dive in. So I talked to our leadership team and we decided to do two key things for our business. And they were big things. And it added a lot of work onto our plate and pivoted where we were to a completely different direction. But what was interesting was watching how the team mobilized behind that and got excited about it. And what's been really fun to watch during this period of time is how everybody has been aligned and willing to do some tough stuff, even though it just seemed impossible to do, just like you were talking about earlier. So I would just say that just from that experience for myself, it was good and it made me do more than I thought I could do. And I keep finding that that is the truth for an innovator and also for a leader that you have to keep pushing no matter what. You cannot be complacent. And if you have a situation like this, you have no choice. Look, as a CEO for over 16 years, there were times when I said, okay, I've been doing this. This team should be able to do this on their own. And in hindsight, if I look back at any of those times, I convinced myself, why do I have to keep doing all this stuff? The team should be able to handle it. It was the moments when the organization slowed the most because the fact is, is leadership doesn't ever stop. You have to keep going. I think the other interesting thing that happens in these times is that as I've worked with other organizations, it has forced them, the leaders have to reevaluate their teams in different contexts and ask themselves for where they're at and where they're going. What's an honest assessment of what the capabilities we have here are not. And so, look, we had to make in our, the small business I'm involved in, we had to make some tough decisions. 
And what we realized is, is that there were some people that had been helpful at one point in our journey that were doing an okay job, but honestly, relative to the problems we had to solve now and going forward, they weren't nearly as valuable as some of the people that could play multiple roles. So we, we realized we needed more utility infielders in a time mm. of change and that we had some of these experts, but they were so limited and their expertise didn't actually apply to what we were trying to be good at anymore. And so it forced us to make some tough decisions that I think as leaders, it's easier to not make otherwise. But in a moment of crisis, you have to say, okay, what team do I really need to get through this? And I think it's actually a really healthy moment because you know at the end of the day, whether you're pursuing innovation or any business, getting the team right is pretty much the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And it's too easy when things are going well to accept less than stellar performance. We convince ourselves it's easier to keep what we have than make a change for something that might be better. And, you know, a crisis doesn't allow us that opportunity anymore. You know, that's really interesting. Uh, We have been talking to several of our groups, our boardroom groups, and we have been talking about the fact that this is a perfect time to build that dream team because you have that opportunity to maybe select some people out of the company. Maybe it's not the right time for them, just like you were talking about. And if they were settling for something, maybe it was time for them to look at what is that opportunity for you to take your business to another level? And you can't do it sometimes with the same team. So I agree with that. And that has been a question that I think I've challenged our clients to think about because they need to have a dream team to pull out of this with complete strength. Yeah. And I would also say that if your goal is to succeed, your business is probably limited by your talent. And most of us in a normal good economy, finding great talent's tough, right? You know, we're all in competition for the best people. Well, when the economy slows down, the talent pool gets very deep, very fast. And so what I like to encourage companies is, you know, if your vision is not only to survive this, but to come out of this in a better place, now would be a great time to actually add to your team. Now, where is that talent that you couldn't have attracted a year ago? But hey, their situation has changed. And I think you got to really think about that. And also, it's so it's both evaluating your existing team. Do you have the right talent? But don't be afraid to embrace some new talent. This is that moment. I mean, Look, context is everything. And in this context, there are some really talented people that are available that you couldn't have gotten before. Well, something that's really good, I think, is that for some of us who've been around for a few years, we've been through a number of these challenges. We've been through 9-11. We've been through 2008. So we've experienced that. And I think what happens is even though there's that initial shock, how could you not be shocked by what happened with COVID? But by the same token, we made it through that. Maybe it wasn't pretty, but we learned some valuable lessons. And I think that's one of the things that we should all be thinking about is what are those lessons that we can bring into this situation and maybe come up with a better solution than we ever would have had we not gone through that. Yeah. And in addition to the opportunity, it's also a signal to people that are in business that, by the way, this has forced a lot of people to reevaluate and change and think differently. So you might want to ask yourself that question. It also, it's a time that will spur, if you look at all the historical crises in our country, even going back to the Great Depression, every one of them led to these incredible periods of change and innovation, right? Things are forced to evolve. And so it's also a reminder that if your business was pretty good before and you're thinking, I can just ride this out. No, it's actually probably a reminder that you got to realize you're going to, if you want to stay with this, you have to keep moving because the new normal is different than the old normal. And so you have to embrace change if you want to stay part of it. How do you start the process of innovation? You know, I think when it comes to innovation, you have to decide if there's a problem that's important enough that needs to be solved with innovation. 
you know, there are problems that honestly, you don't have to do something completely disruptive, right? You know, there's many approaches you can take, but you have to decide that you want to change so badly that you're willing to give up something you have today that's work. And that's really hard for most people. So what I find in most organizations is that they think they want to innovate. And then when they start to hit something that they realize, wow, if I do this, it could kind of screw up part of the business I have today. You're not willing to give up what you have for that potential future upside. They get stuck. And so organizations that are successful tend to have this mindset that it's, if we don't innovate, we will not succeed. Like innovate or die is a term one of the large companies I worked with said. And they literally, it started with their CEO. And what I would tell you is, while it's great to try to innovate bottoms up, the leader of the organization fundamentally has to buy in. Because at the end of the day, when you control the resources and the final decision-making, if you don't see the benefit of this, you're not going to be willing to take the risk. Mm, very true. And today, I read an article that was talking about how many bankruptcies we're going to have as a result of COVID. And I can say that just looking at that, it just made my heart just hurt because I know that there are so many dreams that were a part of that. And by the same token, I think the article was saying that people were allowing things to happen in their businesses and they weren't changing them. And then this just brought everything to a crisis point where they have to make the decision and take that bankruptcy. Some of the changes we made in the brewery, which is a small business that has only, I think we only have 15 employees. Some of the changes we made, we talked about for a year and the leader was uncomfortable making them because it was, quote, working good enough. The crisis forced us to have a conversation and get much more serious about those choices. Mm -hmm. And we made some decisions that the business is running today in COVID better than it ran pre-COVID because mm -hmm. we actually made those decisions. But the leader had to believe they had no choice because some hard things had to get done, including some of how they went about their job. And it was really a combination of how they approached their role and how the team around them, who was going to be part of it or not. And mm -hmm. those are decisions that when things are kind of working, look, that's tough, right? We, these are people you hired. You probably have relationships with them. It's really hard to undo that. But if the fate of the business counts on it, I think as leaders, we all are much better off at making some of those tough choices. Mm, so true. Well, with that, I think we should wrap up with maybe three key points that you'd like our listeners to take away today. And then also, if you would share with us how we can find a copy of your book. Yeah, so I think what I would say is, is that, you know, my book is really written about how to lead innovation, but the principles apply to leadership in just about any format. So what I hope people realize is innovation is not reserved for tech companies. It's available to all of us. I think the second thing is that realize that to pursue these ideas, you have to first start and ask yourself, are you really willing to embrace these different behaviors and recognize that you're going to have to challenge some of your own beliefs? Realize that some of how you're wired is probably what you'll have to change first. And then I think the last thing is, is that innovation, what I've seen over a long time now is it is the great equalizer. It gives everyone a chance to be better than they are today. And so no matter where you're at in your business, if you want something to be better, innovation, it's your opportunity. And it's really just a choice of whether or not you want to embrace it. But it really does make anything possible. And as someone who took a very small company into a large global company, it's the way you basically take on these giants that you think you can't otherwise deal with. Because mm -hmm. the innovator has some advantages that are inherent that the bigger company, the established competitor will never have. And so I would just encourage them to see that. As far as finding more information, 
they can always check out my website at chuckswoboda.com. And the book is available anywhere you buy books. Probably the easiest place is to buy it on Amazon. It's available both in hardcover and in Kindle format, but you can also get it at Barnes and Noble. And once bookstores open, it'll even be there. <laughs> well, wonderful. And be sure and share the title with us. It is called The Innovator Spirit, How to Discover the Mindset to Pursue the Impossible. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chuck. This has been amazing. Well, I have, thank you for having me here and good luck to, uh, to all the people listening as they pursue these challenges and keep searching for a better way. Okay, awesome. So remember, innovation starts with the mindset to find a better way. And to check out Chuck's book, The Innovator's Spirit, and also his podcast, Innovators on Tap, head on over to his website at chuckswoboda.com. Mm-hmm.